0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Good morning, Harvest. morning, morning. And if you've got your Bibles there, uh, please go ahead and open them up to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew, after uh, chapter 18, is where we will be today. And as you're turning there, I'd like to share with you a bit of a story about something amazing that happened right here in this area in the 1970s. Okay, and yes, something amazing happened in the 70s. I promise you. All right, so here's what happened. Here's what happened. Uh, so the, these two brothers in the church. And, uh, and they were musicians, they sang, and, and they had this falling out. They both, they both felt like, like they'd been sinned against by one another, and there was this conflict, and it got so bad that the elders of their church had to get involved. And the elders said to them, here's how it's going to work. You guys are going into the basement of the church, and you're not coming out until this thing's fixed. And so they put them in the basement of the church, and the elders and the deacons all gather together, and they're praying kind of on the upper level. These guys are downstairs, and then God shows up, and they exchange forgiveness. They forgive each other. They are reconciled. And then the very next day, they sing again together in church, and a revival breaks out that spreads to literally hundreds of churches across Canada. Praise the Lord. We need to hear stories like that. We need to, yes, yes, we need to hear stories like that. That's awesome. That's what God did. That's what God did. And um, cool kind of side note, um, one of the churches that was affected by that revival was a church, maybe you've heard of it, Calvary Baptist Church. Calvary Baptist Church. And, uh, and Tim Hamer, one of the guys on staff here, his parents ended up actually going into the mission fields, long-term missionaries, as a result of that uh, revival. So praise the Lord for that. So this conflict between these two brothers started because they felt sinned against. They felt sinned against by each other, and then the conflict continued because they were not pursuing forgiveness, but then God intervened and he did something awesome. So let me ask you, how do you usually respond when you feel like you're being sinned against? How do you usually respond when you feel like you are being sinned against, when you, people, when you feel like people are disrespecting you? Or you feel like people are betraying you or or when they're gossiping about you or when people just straight up lie right to your face how do you respond when people hurt you or offend you or let you down what do you usually do do you go on the attack do you do you confront do you just kind of avoid them do you go to other people and gossip about it? Do you, do you isolate? Or do you forgive? What do you usually do when someone sins against you? Well, thankfully, thankfully, we don't have to worry about this because this never happens in the church, and everyone always gets along, and everything's perfect, and there's always just perfect unity everywhere, And right? Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. It would be so great if that were true, but here's the truth. Uh, the truth is we live in a broken world, And we are a broken people, and we are going to let each other down. And we are going to sin against one another from time to time. True or false? It's true. It's true. And in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus has explained to his disciples what they should do when someone sins against them. And so uh, have a look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, Jesus says this. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone, in private. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So bring along some other believers that have some wisdom, and let's see if we can get to the bottom of of what this is all about. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. So who is uh, Jesus speaking to again? He's speaking to his disciples. And so Peter is there, and then Peter comes up to him. Verse 21, have looked down at verse 21. Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And the reason Peter asked that question is that the religious leaders of the day were teaching that you should only forgive someone three times. That that you forgive them the first time, and then if they sin again... The second time, if they sin again, okay, third time, but after three strikes, don't forgive them anymore. Three strikes and you're out. And so Peter is asking Jesus, and he's saying, how many times should, should we forgive? How many times should I forgive my brother if he sins against me? As many as seven times? Like, that's a lot. I would like double the three and then add one more seven times? And he's maybe expecting Jesus to be kind of impressed by that, and uh For Jesus to say, well, Peter, that is amazing. Seven times, you are filled with mercy and grace. But uh, look at what he says, verse 22. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven. So you can imagine Peter's face like, oh, oh. He's saying, Peter, Peter. When it comes to forgiving others, in light of the gospel, Peter, there is no limit. There is no point where we stop. There is no point where we should be withholding forgiveness. And now Jesus is about to tell a parable to drive that point home. And here's the point. That in light of the gospel, his disciples must have an attitude of forgiveness toward those who sin against them. That in light of the gospel, his disciples must have an attitude of forgiveness toward those who sin against them. And so let me ask you, would you say that describes you? Do you have an attitude of forgiveness toward people who sin against you? Because in light of the gospel, in light of the gospel, we must have an attitude of forgiveness toward those who sin against us. And here's uh, the first reason why. Point number one is this: You can jot this down. I must, I must have an attitude of forgiveness toward those who sin against me because I have been forgiven. I must have an attitude of forgiveness toward those who sin against me because I have been forgiven. Uh, Go ahead and have a look at verse 23. Verse 23, Jesus said this. He says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So Jesus begins now to tell a parable. What's a parable? Well, a parable is a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And and he says, this is a parable about the kingdom of heaven. It's 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 about God's rule and God's reign and God's ways, not the ways of man. And he begins this parable with a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. So who do you think the king represents in this parable? Who do you think? God. God. The king represents God. And so if the king represents God, who do you think the servants represent? Us, us. So in the context, the servants represent the disciples, but in the broader context, uh, the servants represent us. So the king represents God, the servants represent us. Now have a look at verse 24. Verse 24, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now for many of you in your Bibles right now, when you look beside the word talents, look beside the word talents, and, and there may be a number there, and if you go to the bottom of the page and you find that number, it should say something along the lines of a talent is, is a monetary unit worth uh, 20 years' wages. Do you see that there? So a talent is worth 20 years' wages, and how many talents does he owe? 10,000. All right. All right. So this seems like some difficult math. Let's see if we can figure it out up on the screen. So, okay. So I looked on a website, and the website said that uh, the average Canadian income uh, salary was $49,000. Don't know if that's true or not. We're going to work with it. $50,000 times 20. So that's one talent. And he owes how many again? 10000 Okay, math people, now's your, now's your opportunity. Now's your chance. Math people, what does this equal? Anyone? Anyone? 10 billion. Okay, it's 10 billion. He owes 10 billion dollars. Verse 25. And since he could not pay, duh, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant owes an unpayable debt. And so the king says, All right, we'll sell him. And we'll sell her, and we'll sell these kids over here, and then we'll get something at least against the debt. Verse 26 So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Which shows us at least two things about the servant. First thing, he's desperate. He's desperate. He falls on his knees, and he is pleading. That means he's begging. He's saying, please don't sell my wife. Please, please, don't sell my kids. Please, please, I beg you. I beg you, don't do it. He's desperate, understandably so. But then the second thing we see about this servant is he has no idea of how much he actually owes. Okay? He has no concept of how much he owes. Look at verse 26. He says, have patience with me, and I will pay you what? Everything. Really? Everything? You're going to pay back $10 billion. He has no idea how much he owes. Verse 27 is kind of the hinge on the door, really, of this parable. Everything changes right here. Have a look at verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So notice that the debt didn't just how, somehow just kind of vanish. It didn't just sort of disappear in a big puff of smoke. It didn't somehow go away. Instead, it was forgiven. It was forgiven. That means that the king took a $10 billion loss. And why would he do that? What would motivate the king to do this? Well, look again at verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. The king had pity for the servant. That means there's this deep welling up of compassion in the heart of the king for the servant that then compelled him to forgive, to cancel the debt. In other words, to pay the debt himself. And listen, listen, that's the gospel. That's the gospel right there. And so so who does the king represent again? God. God, and who does the servant represent? Us. So the king represents God, uh, the servant represents us, and we are the ones with the unpayable debt. And we don't have a debt of dollars, we have a debt of sin. That means we have a debt of offense against God that is infinitely more than $10 billion. Infinitely more, infinitely worse. This is what John Piper says about the debt of sin. He says the sin is... The greatness of God uh, not admired. The goodness of God not savored. The faithfulness of God not trusted. The promises of God not believed. The commandments of God not obeyed. The grace of God not cherished. And the presence of God not prized. This is our debt. This is our debt before the Lord. It's a debt of Sin And God, uh, he justly responds to the debt, to the offense of sin with his wrath. The only fitting and just punishment for even one sin against God is an eternity of his wrath uh, uh, separated from him in a literal place called hell. And we here in this room, each one of us have committed millions, if not billions of sins against God. And so what should happen to us? but God, amen, but God, Uh, he, he, he was moved by his love and by his compassion for us, so he chose to forgive our debt, he chose to cancel our debt, which means this, he chose to pay our debt himself by coming to earth and taking on flesh, by giving himself over to being mocked and to brutal torture and then to crucifixion and then while on that cross taking upon himself our billions and billions of sins and for our sake becoming sin and then enduring the horrific fury of the wrath of God poured out upon him in full, making full payment for your sins and for mine as he hung on that cross. In other words, if you are here this morning and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, listen, listen. You have literally been forgiven the biggest debt in the universe. I have been forgiven the biggest debt in the universe. You have been forgiven the biggest debt in the universe. But here's the question. Let me ask you, do I truly treasure That forgiveness. Do I truly treasure that forgiveness? Ask yourself, do I truly treasure the forgiveness that I have received? Well, here's a good test. You can ask yourself this. How often do I think about it? And how often do I talk about it? How often do I think about this forgiveness that I've received? And how often do I talk about it? Because here's the truth. We talk about whatever we treasure in our hearts. Every one of us do this. We talk about whatever we treasure. We, we praise with our lips what we prize in our hearts. All of us do this every single day. So ask yourself, do I think about this forgiveness? And do I talk about this forgiveness very much? And when I ask myself that question, I'm like, not nearly enough. Not nearly enough. Not even close And so, how does that change? Well, there's only one way that can change. We must go to the cross. We must go to the cross. We must meditate upon the cross. Because the more we meditate upon the cross, the more we treasure our forgiveness. And the more we treasure our forgiveness, the more we treasure Jesus Christ. And the more we treasure Jesus Christ, the more we'll have an attitude of forgiveness toward those who sin against us because of the forgiveness that we ourselves have received. And therefore, therefore, the less unforgiveness we will have toward others. In light of the gospel, in light of the gospel, we must have an attitude of forgiveness toward those who sin against us because we have been forgiven. Amen? In light of the gospel, we must have an attitude of forgiveness toward those who sin against us. Which leads us right into our second point, which is this. You can jot this down. I must have an attitude of forgiveness toward those who sin against me because unforgiveness hijacks the heart. I must have an attitude of forgiveness toward those who sin against me because unforgiveness hijacks the heart. Yes, it does. Have a look at verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And so if you have... uh, your Bible open in front of you, and you can find that word denarii there, and, and what you might notice is that there's a, a, a number beside denarii, and if you go down to the bottom of the page, what you should see beside that number is that a denarii is a day's wage uh, for a laborer. That's how much a denarii works out to you, a day's wage for a laborer. So uh, let's see if we can do the math on the screen. How many days does he owe? A hundred hundred. And so let's have a look at the math up on the screen. And so, and so working with that number of $50,000, that works out to something like $150 a day, roughly. And then he owes hundred. And so math people, here you go, second chance, all right? Second chance. Uh, what does that equal? $15,000. $15,000. He owes him $15,000. And verse 28 says that he found His fellow servant, which suggests that he was looking for him. So picture it. He leaves the presence of the king, being forgiven $10 billion. His family was about to be sold, now they're not. And the first thing he does is he goes looking for this guy who owes him $15,000. Verse 28. And when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So when he finds his friend, you would expect him to say, you're not going to believe what just happened to me. I was called in to see the king. I owed him all this money. I didn't even know how much it was, like $10 billion. And he's going to sell me and my wife and my kids into slavery. And, and I just got on my hands and knees. I just begged him and I begged him. And he forgave the $10 billion debt. And, and we're not sold into slavery. Here I am before you. How awesome is that? But he doesn't say that. And the reason he doesn't say that is because his heart isn't on that. His heart is not on the forgiveness that he has received, but rather his heart is on the sting of the outstanding debt. His heart is focused on the sting of the offense, this guy owes me money. Because unforgiveness hijacks the heart. And so the first thing he does uh, when he comes across his friend and he grabs him, he seizes him, and he begins to choke him. So brother, maybe you could come up and I can give just an example of seizing and choking. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, we're not going to do that. Not going to do that. Bless you. Um, so, so he doesn't even, notice he doesn't even ask about the money at first because it's no longer about the money. It's about payback. It's about payback. He wants his friend to suffer because of the offense of owing him money. Look at verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. So that sounds familiar, doesn't it? If you look back at verse 26, notice the unforgiving servant said the same thing to the king. He said, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And then the king forgave him, and now his friend is saying the exact same thing. He says, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Look how he responds, though. Verse 30, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And why is that? Here's why. Because he is not overwhelmed by the forgiveness that he's received. He is not overwhelmed by the forgiveness he's received. Not even close. And um, who does the unforgiving servant represent again? Us. Us. Because this is what we do. This is how we act when we are not overwhelmed by the forgiveness we have received. Unforgiveness, it hijacks the heart and steals our attention away from the gospel. And then when people sin against us, we feel justified in our anger and we don't forgive and we hold grudges and we get bitter and we retaliate. When really, really, in light of the gospel, in light of the gospel, in light of the fact that we've been forgiven the biggest debt in the entire universe, we should be the most forgiving people on the face of the planet. You and I should be the most forgiving people on the face of the earth because of how much we have been forgiven. But what does that even look like? What does it even look like to have such a pervasive attitude of forgiveness? Well, here's what it doesn't look like, all right? It doesn't look like this. It doesn't look like ignoring sin, okay? That's not, that's not forgiveness. It's not ignoring sin. It's not two people get into an argument, and then they don't talk for a while, and then they talk a little bit, and then maybe they crack a few jokes, and then everything's back to normal, okay? That's not forgiveness. That's not it. It's also not this. It's not saying sorry. It's not saying sorry. It's not one person sins against another and goes, oh, my bad, sorry. The other, the other person says, that's okay. Don't worry about it. That's not forgiveness. That's not forgiveness. All that is, is I'm just sweeping sin under the carpet. Just sweep it under the carpet, staple it down, and I'm just going to pretend like it's not there. But it's there. And the more we just kind of sweep it under the carpet, the bigger the pile gets, the more unstable it becomes, the more toxic it becomes, and the whole thing just explodes. So if ignoring sin isn't forgiveness, and saying sorry isn't forgiveness, then what is forgiveness? Uh, Well, the word forgiveness in the Bible, it has two uh, basic meanings and uses. We'll throw that up on the screen now. Uh, Here's the first one. Forgiveness refers to this, a vertical heart attitude. So notice forgiveness is this. It's an attitude uh, that's in the heart that is uh, the result of a vertical relationship with God. It's a vertical heart attitude where before the Lord, I'm choosing to cancel the debt of someone who has sinned against me. Okay? It's before the Lord, I'm choosing to cancel the debt of someone who has sinned against me. That's a vertical heart attitude, but that's not all forgiveness. Forgiveness is also this, it's a horizontal side to this as well, and it's a horizontal transaction where I'm granting, I'm granting forgiveness to someone who seeks it repentantly. And these are not the same thing, they are different, and we're going to be focusing mainly on the heart attitude, but notice this. The heart attitude leads to the horizontal transaction. Okay, The heart attitude before God leads to the horizontal transaction. If I have a heart attitude of of forgiveness, uh, then that makes it a whole lot easier to grant forgiveness uh, to someone who seeks it repentantly. And So let's spend now the next several minutes just doing some teaching and unpacking what forgiveness is, what it isn't, what it looks like, and what it doesn't look like. And here's why. Here's why. Because unforgiveness hijacks the heart, but forgiveness takes it back. And so we need to understand what forgiveness is. So firstly, firstly, forgiveness is an attitude of the heart that involves two aspects. Uh, Forgiveness is an attitude of the heart that involves these two aspects. Firstly, an event and then a promise. An event and then a promise. So let's talk about what the event is. What's an event? Well, it's this. It's the moment before the Lord where I choose to cancel the debt of someone who has sinned against me. That's the event. It's an event of forgiveness. It's the moment before the Lord where I choose to cancel the debt of someone who has sinned against me. This is what produces in us a heart attitude of forgiveness. And so where are we told to do that in the Bible? Well, have a look up uh, at the screen here. Uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said this. He said... And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Now look at how inclusive this is. Uh, if, you, if you're standing and you're praying, forgive if you have noticed anything against anyone. And notice the standing uh, while praying. Standing while praying, that was the typical posture of prayers for the Jews. And so what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, when you are there worshiping the Lord and, and, and all of a sudden it just kind of comes into your mind that you've got something against someone else. There's some anger, resentment, some bitterness. Ultimately, there's unforgiveness there. This is what you should do. Forgive. Forgive. Notice he doesn't say, If you're standing there in prayer and then someone runs up to you and and asks for forgiveness, forgive. He doesn't say that. We need to do that as well. But that's not what he says here. He says when it's just you and the Lord, when you are standing there praying, it's just you and God, forgive. That's the event. It's the moment where before the Lord I choose to cancel the debt of someone who has sinned against me. That's what produces a heart attitude of forgiveness. And maybe you're thinking to yourself right now, I want that so bad. I want to forgive. I am, I am tired of carrying this thing around on my shoulders. I want to forgive so bad, but I have been so hurt. I have been so brutally wounded. I have been so betrayed. I just can't seem to let it go. And you're right, you can't. You can't, not on your own. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit because that is where a forgiveness will come from in us because forgiveness is supernatural. Forgiveness is supernatural. It can only be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. And listen, listen, by His Spirit, God has granted to us all of the grace that we need to forgive. Do you believe that? By his Holy Spirit, God has granted to us all the strength and the grace that we need in order to forgive, but we must go to him. And a huge, massive, integral part of this grace comes through having our minds renewed by the gospel and understanding again and again and again and again how much we have been forgiven. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. But that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Forgiveness is never easy. And here's why, here's why. Because sin always leads to hurt. Every single person in this room has been sinned against many, 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 many times. Some of us far worse than others. But here's the common thread. When we are sinned against, it leads to hurt. It leads to pain. And then when we choose, we choose before the Lord to forgive the sin. Notice this. There's still the hurt. And some of us then feel like, well, I guess I didn't do the forgiveness thing right because I still have the hurt. Not true, not true. When we forgive, oftentimes, there's still a lot of hurt that needs to be dealt with. There's a lot of pain that still needs to be dealt with. And so, and so what do I do with that? I've forgiven before the Lord, I've forgiven, but then what do I do with all this pain that I have? Well, there's only one place that we must go and we must go to him, We must go to God because, listen, only he can deal with that pain. Only he can deal with that hurt. Only he can heal your heart. People can't heal your heart. Pleasure can't heal you. Getting more stuff can't heal you. Getting getting escape and getting vacation can't heal you. Counselors can't heal you. Time can't heal you. Only God can heal you. Psalm 147, verse 3. You might want to jot that down. Psalm 147, verse 3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Psalm 147, verse 3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. That is a verse for many of us here right now. Psalm 147, verse 3. He heals. He does it. He heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds. Yes, he does. He does. He heals the brokenhearted. And if you decide to buy a car at a dealership, and you go to this dealership, and you buy this brand new car, and you drive it home, and you have it there for a couple of weeks, and then uh, in the mail you get this letter, and you open up this letter, it's from the dealership, you're like, what's up with this? And you open the letter and it says, recall, recall, recall. You're like, what? I just bought this thing. And and you start reading the letter and it says, you need to bring the car into the dealership because it's going to break down. If you don't bring the car into the dealership, it's going to break down. So if you don't want your car to break down, you better bring it in the dealership because it's going to break down. It's going to break down, right? Likewise, likewise. Um, uh, we need to pay attention to God and we need to respond when he says to us that he is the one who heals our hearts, that he is the one who binds up our wounds. If we get a letter in the mail saying, go to the dealership, we're going to the dealership. If we look into God's word and he's telling us that he's the one that heals our hearts, he's the one that can bind up our wounds, we need to listen to him. And we need to go to him and we need to understand this that this will be a process. It's not about just going to God one time and expecting the zap. It's about walking with God. It's about abiding in Christ. It's about having a relationship with God where you are opening up your heart to Him and He is speaking into that and He is healing you. It's a process. He heals the brokenhearted. So forgiveness doesn't mean that hurt goes away. We need to take that hurt to God. And there's something else we need to take to God as well. It's this whole issue of justice. Because sometimes sometimes what what keeps us from forgiving others is we feel like if I forgive them, I'm kind of letting them off the hook. If I forgive them, I'm letting the guilty go free. And we have this inner sense of justice. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing to have a, a sense of justice. But when we feel like we need to be the one to dispense the justice on someone else, that's where it goes wrong. And listen, when we choose to forgive, here's what we are doing. We are are entrusting the entire situation, whatever it is, whatever it must be, we're, we're entrusting that into the perfectly capable hands of God who's promised to make all things right. One day. One day. He judges justly. Justice will be done perfectly one day, one day. And the sins of those who have been committed against you will either be dealt with at the cross or they will be dealt with in eternity. But either way, either way, justice will be done. Therefore, in light of the gospel in light of the fact that God is our healer, that God is our helper, and that he is the final judge over all things, we can forgive. Yes, we can. We can forgive by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can forgive, especially especially if we keep this in mind, that God gets so much glory when we forgive those who sit against us. God gets so much glory when we forgive those who sin against us. We are never more like God than when we choose to forgive those who sin against us. You and I have been created to image God, and we never image God more or better than when we choose to forgive those who sin against us. So forgiveness, forgiveness is an attitude of the heart that involves an event an event of forgiveness before the lord but it also involves this it involves a promise a promise forgiveness is an attitude of the heart that involves a promise and what is this promise well it's kind of a threefold promise and and maybe you've seen this before up on the screen it's a promise. I'm going to make a promise. I want to promise to, to walk in forgiveness, not just forgive before the Lord. Now I want to walk in forgiveness, and so I'm going to make this threefold promise, and here it is, and we'll talk about each one. Here it is. I'm going to promise not to dwell on how others have sinned against me. That's the first thing. The second thing. Uh, I'm going to make a promise not to gossip about how others have sinned against me. And then the third thing. I'm going to promise not to use the sins of others against them, as a weapon. So let's talk about these three uh, promises. Here's the first one. I'm not going to dwell on how others have sinned against me, and um, we're not so good at this. The easy thing is to dwell on how others have sinned against us. We're really good at just kind of making that loop in our minds, hitting the play button, and around it goes, and we just dwell, and we dwell, and we take that situation, and we examine it from every side, up, down, sideways, and To walk in forgiveness means I'm going to make a promise that when I realize I'm doing that, I'm going to go before the Lord and ask him for help to stop. I want to make a promise not to dwell on the sins of others against me. Here's the second thing. I want to make a promise not to gossip about how others have sinned against me. And this is also something that's really hard because in our flesh, this is what we want to do. When someone sins against us, what's the first thing we want to do? We want to gather together a big crowd of people, stand up on a soapbox and say, you're not going to believe what this person did. They're so wicked. They, I can't believe they did this. And slander and gossip and I want to promise, I want to promise that I'm not going to do that. I want to promise that when I, when I find myself being tempted to do that, I'm going to go before the Lord and ask him for the grace not to do that. Here's the third thing. Um, not to use the sins of others against them as a weapon. And again, this is something that we are very good at doing. To take the sins of others to kind of bend it and mold it into a club and then beat them about the head with it. I want to promise. We want to promise before the Lord um, not to do this, and when I feel tempted to do this, God, I, I want to I I bring that before you and um, ask for the grace not to do that, and there's going to be a cost to this, okay? This isn't easy to do, and again, this is done through the power of the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean that it's easy. There's a cost to this, but listen, the cost of unforgiveness is so much higher, There is a cost to forgiveness. There is a cost to walking in forgiveness but the cost of unforgiveness is so much higher. You can think of it this way. If you're going through your life and you've got this 200-pound duffel bag on your back and it's weighing you down because it's a a duffel bag filled with unforgiveness and it's got a big scroll with all these wrongs done against me and I'm carrying this through my life. It's crushing me. It's affecting every area of my life. I'm just barely making it through. And then someone says, hey, you see that 15-pound weight on the ground? You should pick that up. Like, that's the last thing I want to do. I don't want to pick up more weight. I'm already crushed right now. But then if I reach down and I pick up the 15-pound weight of forgiveness, here's what happens. The 200-pound weight of unforgiveness falls off my back. And so, yes, there is some weight to forgiveness. There is a cost to forgiveness but the cost of unforgiveness is so much higher because unforgiveness hijacks the heart, but forgiveness takes it back. And maybe you're wondering, well, what if I fail, though? What if I fail? What if I make this kind of threefold promise and then then I have a really bad day? because I'm bound to have a really bad day, right? We're human, we're gonna have a really bad day. And so what happens if I have a bad day and I wake up in the morning and I start to think about how that person sinned against me and I'm just like, ah, and I just give myself over to that. And then all day long, I'm just thinking and thinking and thinking and dwelling on the sins of others. And then I get this group of people together. I'm like, I'm gonna tell them again now, hey, do you remember when that person sinned against me? They are so wicked. Can you believe they did that? And And I'm gossiping. And then I get so angry that I take their sin, I bend it into a club and I send the text message. I send the email, I call them up, I club them with their sin, what happens if I have a bad day? Does that mean it's all over? It's not over. It's not over. Here's what we do when we have a bad day, okay? We start again. We start again. We go back to the event, and we choose again before the Lord to cancel the debt of that person who has sinned against us, and then we choose again to walk in forgiveness in that threefold promise of choosing not to dwell on the sins of others, okay? choosing not to gossip about how people have sinned against me, and then choosing not to use their sin as a weapon against them. So forgiveness is a heart attitude involving an event of forgiveness, but then also it's about a promise of walking in forgiveness. But forgiveness is also this. It also involves, on the horizontal level, granting forgiveness to someone who seeks it repentantly, leading to reconciliation when possible. Okay, On the horizontal plane, forgiveness is granting forgiveness to someone who seeks it repentantly, leading to reconciliation when possible when possible and just to be clear just to be clear granting forgiveness on the horizontal does not mean does not mean putting yourself in danger with a dangerous person okay it's not that so yes forgiveness but it doesn't mean to put yourself in a dangerous situation with a a dangerous person yes forgiveness but that doesn't mean you compromise your safety Forgiveness does not mean putting yourself in danger. It does mean having a heart attitude of forgiveness and granting forgiveness to those who seek it repentantly, but it does not mean placing yourself in a dangerous situation, all right? So we must forgive. In light of the gospel, we must forgive because unforgiveness hijacks the heart, but forgiveness takes it back. But what if I'm just unwilling? What if I'm just unwilling to do that? Well, that leads us right into our third and last point, which is this. I must have an attitude of forgiveness toward those who sin against me because God will not ignore my unforgiveness. I must have an attitude of forgiveness toward those who sin against me because God will not ignore my unforgiveness. Have a look at verse 31. Verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me? And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay back all his debt. Verse 35, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your, what does it say? Heart, heart. You know why that word heart is so significant? Because heart means your whole inner being, the whole inner man. It's not just your words, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your whole inner person, your whole inner being. God will not ignore my unforgiveness. Look again again at verse 34. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Notice that the king is treating the unforgiving servant the same way that the unforgiving servant treated his friend. And this really is the whole point of the parable. The point of the parable is found in verse 35. Look at verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, from your whole inner being. Which sounds just like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. Let's have a look at that. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. He said, For if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's sobering. Also in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. And he tells them, pray this way, pray this way. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now think about that. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What is this asking God to do? This is saying, God, would you please, would you please forgive me in the same way that I forgive those who sin against me. Do I want that? Do I really want God to forgive me in the same way that I forgive those who sin against me? Look again at verse 34. And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And that word jailers can also be translated torturers. And this is the point of the parable. Verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, from your whole inner being. Listen, listen. If we do not cultivate an attitude of forgiveness toward those who sin against us, our lives will become torturous. If we refuse the event of forgiveness before the Lord, if we refuse to walk in forgiveness, if we refuse to grant forgiveness to those who seek it repentantly, our lives will become torturous. Hear me. Your lives, my life, will be filled with bitterness and wrath and anger and resentment and broken relationships and loneliness, and we will be miserable. Our lives will be torturous if we refuse to have an attitude of forgiveness. But what about the person who just chooses never to forgive? It's the person who comes to church, the person who says they're a Christian, but then week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, no fruit of forgiveness. Well, God's word is clear on this, that a life that does not ever forgive is a life that is not truly forgiven. A life that does not ever forgive is a life that is not truly forgiven. So how important is it then that we have an attitude of forgiveness in our lives? essential. It is absolutely essential. And because of that, let me ask you, let me ask you. Has someone sinned against you? Are you holding a debt against anyone? And I recently went before the Lord with that question. And um, this moment of transparency, I didn't think I had anything against anyone. But it went before the Lord, and the Lord showed me, do I have anything against anyone? Am I holding a debt against anyone? And the Lord just brought names, name, 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 name. And I was shocked. And I say this to my shame. I was shocked. And I think I didn't even see it because it was just so Normal. I kind of think of that person, or maybe see that person and be like, ugh. You know what I mean? You see someone, or you have a thought of that person, you're like, "Oh, What is that? Unforgiveness. So I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful to the Lord that He corrected me. He corrected me. It's been liberating in my life to, to see it, but then to ask the Lord for forgiveness in this. And how about you? How about you? Because God, God will not ignore our unforgiveness. He won't. And here's why he won't ignore our unforgiveness. Because he loves us way too much to ignore our unforgiveness. He wants to have intimate fellowship with us. And if we are harboring unforgiveness, that will interrupt that fellowship. Because we cannot cling to God and then cling to resentment. And I invite you all, invite you all to stand with me. And uh, in light of the gospel, in light of the gospel, in light of how much you have been forgiven, in light of your desire to glorify God, I invite you now uh, to respond. To respond as the worship team comes up and and with heads bowed, uh, let's each one of us go before the Lord. Let's each one of us go before the Lord in prayer and to ask Him to reveal uh, to us if we are holding anything. Against anyone. And Jesus said this. Jesus said this. He said, Whenever you stand praying, forgive. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who also is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So in this moment, in this moment with heads bowed, Lord, would you please show us? Lord, would you please speak to every single heart here right now? Would you show us if we are holding anything against anyone? Would you show us if we are holding anything against anyone in our workplace? Show us, Lord, are we holding anything against anyone? Our coworkers, are we holding anything against our boss? Are we holding anything against anyone at school? Lord, show us if we're holding anything against those in our family. Show us if we're holding anything against our spouse or parents, our children siblings, aunts, uncles, grandparents. Lord, would you show us if we're holding anything against anyone from our past? Maybe we're even holding something against someone in this church. Lord, would you show us? Would you show us? Holy Spirit of God, would you work among us now? Holy Spirit, would you show us So we can confess our unforgiveness to you and we can choose to forgive. And if if we need to go to someone and and get it right with them, Lord, would you show us as well? Holy Spirit, please speak to every heart right now as we take about a minute or so just to meet with you, Lord. Would you speak to every heart here in Jesus' name? Amen.